0: Uh, Just to let you know, again, reiterating, Jim and Denise Bray's group is is meeting tonight at 6.30. Uh, Jim's right here. And if you need directions, come and ask him, but you're all welcome to come and check it out. They're going to do pizza and soda. Uh, Apparently, he told me that his group is like almost all single women, dudes. Jim says, I don't know if I want you to announce that. And I said, what better place for people to meet? Uh, let you know something else. Uh, every once in a while, I have a friend that works for Pepsi, and when stuff gets close to going, okay, <laughs> when stuff gets close to going out of code, he usually calls and asks if we want it for the youth group and stuff like that. We literally have uh, a whole mess of cases of these Lipton. We have white tea and green tea uh, in the back. If you guys would like one, when we're done today, just head out through the back and you can grab or two cases. James says, uh, right out the back and just take one. We also have some Life Water back there. Some Sobey Life Water. And it, it huh? Soda that's out. Yeah, and, and some NFL lemon kickoff soda, which nobody wants. Uh, but if you if you like one, if you, if you like one, uh, grab it, Grab a case on the way out and take it home because I think they expire the middle of February, so we can't really give them to people after that. So if you want one, just go back there and grab one. There you go. Uh, just to let you know, what is going on in the middle of February? We are going to four services. It was so cold in here first service. We had the heater on. Now it's hot. You guys are like breathing out hot air. My goodness. Um anyway, so we're going to four services in February. Uh first service is moving to 845. It's going to be a little more intimate. Uh the, the band's going to be broken down. It's going to be like an acoustic guitar and a box and, and a bass, so it's going to be a little more broken down. And then this service, because I gotta split you guys up. You're like a you're like a bad girlfriend or something. I've got to split you guys up. And so. So, where's the rim shot, Mike? Where's the rim? <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, we're going to split you guys up, and we're going to go 10 and 11.30. 11.30 is going to probably get out about time most of you guys actually leave the premises, so it's not going to be that much later, and 10 o'clock obviously 10 o'clock, so we're going to split you right down the middle from 10.45. Uh, not next week. Okay, in the middle of February, we're going to do that because we've got to get more chairs because we want people to hear the gospel. We want people to get plugged in and begin to use their gifts outside of elements walls and is to help them to be able to do that. Then we're also going to do a Sunday night service. It's going to be the same as the morning, maybe a little more, I said this first service, but a little more rocky, but uh, not like we don't know what we're doing, but rocky as in, woo, you know, I said, I said, hide the women and children, rock and roll, no, but you know, (laughs) Anyway, but we're going to do, it's going to be a little more rocky, and if you have friends who you're always like, hey, why don't you just go to church, check out this church, it's a little different, and and your friends are like, no, i got a hangover. Go, great, go Sunday night. You know, know, feed them a banana, get them some coffee, and get them on down here for Sunday night. What time? uh, 6 or 6.30, I'm not sure yet. You will know. We're going to actually, the week before we do it, we're going to put the sign, the times on the front window here, so everybody will see it, but... There you go. Invite your friends. I'm assuming Sunday night's going to be a totally different animal. You know, the are going to be like all just, "What am I doing here?" You know, or, or it'll just be great. So we'll see how it goes. Just, just let you know. Uh, last week uh, I was making this little joke with Saban, and I go, "Yeah, you tattoo me, I'll tattoo you." Ha <laughs> ha! It's so funny. Well, he calls me this week, and we set up an appointment on Friday. He didn't tattoo me, but, but here's. Okay, now. First off, he, he tells me, he says, you're very heavy-handed. Like I've ever done this before. Joy, his wife, says, oh, don't worry, you can't stop the needle. And I, or, or no, if you push too hard, it'll stop. And I'm like, okay. You know, well, he said it so it wouldn't stop. And I'm like, solve it. So, here. <laughs> you guys are like, I don't know if I'm supposed to clap for that or not. <laughs> Do you? And then something I think it's is really funny. Rink Air sent me this picture this week. Wait, that's one. Yeah, let it sink. Ah, oh, wait. Okay, so just just let it sink in. All right. I love it when people go, "Oh, that's so." Slow. Oh. So, here, here's, so this is what it says. Here's the reply the teacher received the following day about the picture. Dear Mrs. Jones, I wish to clarify that I am not now nor have ever been an exotic dancer. I work at the Home Depot. They have poles apparently. No. Uh, And I told my daughter how hectic it was the week before the blizzard hit. I told her we sold out of every single shovel we had, and then I found one in the back room, and several people were fighting over who would get it. Her picture doesn't show me dancing around the pole. It's supposed to depict me selling the last snow shovel we had at Home Depot. (laughs) (laughs) My mom knows what to do with the pole. (laughs) says, from now on, I will check her homework more thoroughly before she turns it in. It's <laughs> great. Why don't you stay on the reading of God's Word? <laughs> yeah, wow, this is great. This is John chapter 6, starting in verse 12, and it says this. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Get out of the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that your Spirit would teach us what we need to learn. That you would help us to understand the idea of fishes and loaves, and that we should give all we have to you, and you can do something amazing with it. Help us not to hold on to our lives, but to place our lives within your capable hands. Amen. Have a seat. We are going through the Gospel of John. If you brought a Bible this morning, open to John chapter 6, because that's where we're going to be. We finished John 5 last week. Woohoo! Okay, we're just moving on. It's okay. I don't even know what it is, but cool. <laughs> it's a pole. I don't want to see the picture take place. Uh, if you missed anything in John so far, you can actually go on our website, ourelement.org, download all of the messages from John. You should. It's great. They're free. Uh, John, just to let you know, here we go. John was uh, Jesus' closest friend. As a matter of fact, in John nineteen twenty six and 27, upon Jesus' death, while he's hanging on the cross, he tells John, his best friend, to take care of his mother. He places his mother into John's care. Through John, you get one of the clearest pictures of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do in the entirety of Scripture. John shows you Jesus being God in the flesh like no other writer. Last week, we looked at Jesus' claims that he was God and the witnesses to that. This week, uh, John starts with the miracle of bread and fish that eventually leads to a larger discourse that sets up the rest of the chapter and eventually the rest of the book. Everything in John goes together. John wants you to understand what Jesus is doing. It is why it is is important for us to understand context. It's why typically what we will do here in the future is we will go through books, of the Bible, so you understand things in context. I literally could have broken John chapter 6 into seven messages, but I only did three. You're welcome. Uh, We're going to read the narrative, then we'll talk about what it means. This is where we start, John chapter 6, verse 1. This is sometime after this, and after this, the statement refers back to chapter 5. Jesus heals the whiner at the pool, and then he goes on in this discourse to claim how he is God. So sometime after Jesus made that statement, showing his authority, uh, that relates to this. Jesus crossed the far shore of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Now, many teachers during this day, if they could perform miraculous signs, that's what they would base their ministry on, much like today. you got a bunch of people on TV going, I can heal people, and that's what they base their whole ministry on. Jesus' ministry is based upon his preaching and teaching. His miracles come secondary to the words that he had to say. It says, Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Jesus celebrates three Passover feasts during John's gospel. This is the second. Verse 5, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, and Philip gets singled out, this is great, Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? Now I probably asked Philip because Philip was actually from that area, so he knew where to get stuff. A couple of weeks ago, uh, the guy that actually knocked the pole in the corner, Trevor over there, uh, I, he and I went to lunch. He, he sends me a thing. He says, you want to go out for coffee? And I go, I don't like coffee because apparently I'm a heathen, but I love burritos. I said, how do we go get a burrito? After we get to the place to get burritos, he tells me he doesn't like hot food. Go figure. So uh, because I live in town, there is like one place that makes great burritos in town, and it's not La Unica. Okay? If you if right across the street from the post office, not on Broadway, so it's not Casa Manana, whatever it is, but right across the street from the post office a little hole in the wall. We call it El Postino because we don't know the name. <laughs> and I don't really speak Spanish, so I don't know if Postino was post office, but it sounds good to me. So we call it El Postino because I know the area and that's where I take Trevor to go get lunch. So this is kind of Phil. He, he knows the area, so Jesus says, where are we going to do this? And Philip's like... Crap, why are you asking me? This is terrible. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy, and you've got to love Andrew because at least he's trying to help, <laughs> with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go, go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. So 5,000 men with women and children probably means there's twenty to 25,000 people or more here. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, like we do before a meal, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So everyone gets a nice little picnic lunch to take with them. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. This refers back to Deuteronomy chapter 18 where Moses says, In the future there will be a prophet like me that will come again. So this is the prophet. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, Jesus at this point, he gets very popular. Uh, people want to take and, and make him a king. Because if you've got to have a king, how about one that heals people and makes free food, right? That's, that's a good king to have. Other kings, they come and they raise taxes and they put you into slavery. It's not good. This king makes free food. Let's make this guy a king. So Jesus knows they want to come and make him king. He didn't come in his first incarnation to be that king. He comes to humble himself, to live and to die and to rise from the dead. At his second coming, and the restoration of all things, he comes as king of kings and lord of lords, and he takes that mantle. But in his first coming, he is very humble. He comes to work through what's called the kingdom of God, not man-made kingdoms. He doesn't work through the ranks of man-made kingdoms. So what you have here is a very simple story and a very great miracle with a lot of deep ramifications. So the, the first of these is this. The first three miracles in the book of John, the uh, first three major miracles, are actually related to the three major gods of Asia Minor. Uh, the region that John writes his gospel to. He's writing to Greeks, and he says, these are the gods that your people are following. Uh, Dionysus is the guy who turns water into wine. Asclepius is the god of healing, and Demeter is the goddess of bread or the goddess of grain. So how does John begin his story? With Jesus turning water into wine, with him healing a guy at the pool and feeding thousands of people. Because John has an agenda. He's writing to the Greeks. He wants people to understand in this place, and this time, that Jesus is better than all the gods they've been following because Jesus is the one true God. That's who Jesus is. And he has just pushed this home in chapter 5, and the entire rest of the book builds on this idea. You'll see as we go through each of the chapters after this that Jesus keeps pushing this claim of him being God over and over and over. We'll deal with that in more detail over the next few weeks. But today I'm going to take you to a unique place, a little different than we normally do. I want to immerse ourselves in the people of the story. Usually we do lots of theology or we break down a lot of elements of the of scriptures. But I want you to simply see here what is happening. So I'm going to keep this simple. Uh, I'm going to, There's four characters in this story. I'm going to give you kind of three mini little sermons here. You'll love this. It'll be, it'll be great, hopefully. There's four characters or types of people in this story. The first one is this, uh, 20 to 25 thousand people the majority of people these people are out to see jesus they're out to see what he's going to do because with jesus you just never know what the guy's going to do so they sit down they listen to him teach and they start to get hungry if you have a forethought and maybe they brought their own lunch but most people are just like you and me and we don't come with lunch and at lunch time we say what are we going to do and our friends say i don't know what do you want to do where do you want to go i don't know where do you want to go let's go to el postino and then they realize <laughs> well we're out in the middle of nowhere we can't get to el postino so what are we going to do it's just like you and I. We don't really plan ahead, not just in terms of lunch, but typically in terms of life. I'm sorry, that was funny. I thought it was a cell phone. And you're never going to bring a phone to church now, are you? you be like, oh my goodness, he's going to talk at me. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, in, in terms of life, people sometimes, they will, they will quote verses like Matthew 6:34, where Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And when you tell them to plan, they say, well, no, no, I'm not supposed to plan. I'm not supposed to worry about anything. And I say, well, Jesus tells you not to be stupid is what Jesus actually tells you. In Luke twelve twenty nine, Jesus says, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. The word worry here is this word. It's called meteorizomai, and, and what it means is it's kind of like you're walking along, and all of a sudden you get picked up in the air, and you just kind of hang in there like this. It gives you a little anxiety, Right? That's the idea of worry. Worry and plan are completely different words. We are supposed to have a plan. We are to trust God and yet make a plan of what we're going to do in our lives, how we're going to love our families, how we're going to raise our children, how we're going to love our neighbors. We're going to talk more about that plan in November and December. See, I'm already that far ahead. In James 4, 13, uh, 13, James tells us that our plans are always subject to God's plans. But a plan is never bad. Throughout the Old and New Testament, God is always said to have a plan, especially in regards to salvation. Therefore plans are not evil. Like I said, you are to have a plan on how you will love your family and how you will raise your children and how you'll live in a way that brings God's kingdom to the earth. In Matthew thirteen, thirty one, Says this. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Now, have you ever seen a mustard? Anybody seen a mustard seed? Anybody like have mustard? seed? Mustard's nasty. But have you ever anybody had like mustard seeds? And uh, they're tiny little seeds. And yet you plant it, you nurture it, take care of it. It grows to a gigantic plant. That. Represents a plan. They're tiny and they grow into something massive. We as a people, we're, we're not... Our job isn't to come and, and to fight and war against culture, but to plan to love Jesus and live rightly. We start small. And it, it's kind of like if you take a tree, and, and a tree seed is typically small, and you plant that and you nurture it and care for it. By the time your grandchildren are around, they could probably put a tree in that swing. By the time your great-grandchildren come around, they Okay. You're like, well, I don't care about them. This is a plan for your life. You've got to think about the future generations. Your great-grandchildren come around, you can probably build a fort on the top of this thing. That represents a plan in that we are to come and love our families and the people around us and, and read Scripture and follow God with our lives so that future generations begin to get the idea of that. And if you have a problem with the way culture is, you start there. And as that goes out, culture will begin to change. Because that's a plan, and it's slow, and it is steady, and it is sure. We don't start by overthrowing the government and taking over banking and public schools. We begin in little things. We plan, we pray, read your Bible, love your friends, love your spouse, love your kids. Plan. and As generations grow, that comes to fruition. Most people don't have a plan. Get a plan. There's sermon number one. Number two. The people, you got disciples. They just stand around looking dumb half the time, which, which is great because that's how I always feel. Uh, they, they love Jesus. Uh, they, they have lived and walked with him. And, and you have John, who I love. He writes this, and, it, and it's all from hindsight. In verse 6, it says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, <laughs> like, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asks us only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. But when John lived this story, John's in the middle of it. He doesn't know what Jesus is going to do. Andrew is the only one who tries to help, him, and he's not much help. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far uh, will they go among so many? Like Jesus would say, yes, cut those fish into 20,000 pieces and start handing out the bread. You know, it's, okay, I thought it was funnier than that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And this is like us in the fact that we act like we think we know what God's doing all the time, when in truth is we don't. We simply have to trust God and believe that He does know what He's doing, and that is faith. We see a small picture. God sees the entirety of history. I've heard this likened to what's called life under the loom. Have you ever seen a tapestry? Tapestries are beautiful. You look at the front, it's like all these colors go together. It's amazing. If you flip them over and look at the back, they're ugly. It is tangles and snarls and yarn and start going every which way in the world, and you don't understand it. We are people who live under the loom, and we don't understand things that happen in lives around us. Things are happening in the world. Why did this or why did that? And it looks just like a, a tangled mess. And yet, God sits above the loom, and He puts it all together so it all makes sense. That is what God does. God lives above the loom, and He puts everything together. God has a plan, and we trust that. Our confidence is not in ourselves. It is in our great God who brings everything to culmination and fruition. And when we cannot see a way to accomplish the things that he has called us to, we simply trust that he has a plan, and we keep going the direction he has set in front of us. Sermon number two, and I got an amen. This is good. Number three, you have the little boy who gives Jesus lunch, and this kind of actually goes in with Jesus later. There's one little boy the wee little boy. There's one little boy. I heard, a, I heard a Scottish guy talk about this once, and he said, The wee little boy. So it's always stuck in my head. Don't get caught up in the little boy. The little boy is not the hero of the story. Jesus is always the hero. But there's one little boy whose mom, she packs him a lunch because she loves him. His mom has a plan. Okay? It's a good mom. And he is willing to give his lunch to Jesus. I don't know why. You know, maybe, maybe he thinks that there's other people in the crowd who could use it. Maybe he thinks God will do a miracle. Maybe he just thinks, well, you know, Jesus gets hungry. I'll give him my lunch. We don't know why he does it, but he gives Jesus his meal. And what I love about this little boy is that he's poor. He is poor. If you've ever been poor, you know how important lunch is in the middle of a day. He's got two little fish and some barley loaves. This is the cheapest bread of the day. This is food of the poor. The poor ate barley. So he has a couple of sardines and some bread, the minimal food provided to the poor that day. And then you have Jesus, who is the hero of the story. Jesus multiplies the lunch, and he does a great miracle, essentially taking this little bit that's offered, and he creates an unprecedented bounty out of that offering. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time for the day, because I want to bear out through real life what this looks like with with fishes and loaves and how we can trust God with with our fishes and loaves and he will do something miraculous in the lives of others because of it. Uh, The message in regard to the little boy is kind of like this. Go and do likewise. Because we spend too much time eating our own lunch and not sharing with those in need. And when we eat our own lunch and don't share, we fail to see God work in our lives because we never have given him anything to work with. Personally, I have been like the disciples who are just standing around looking dumb, going, "What is God do? Wow, look at that. Look, look what God just did. And seeing Jesus do much with very little. I have been like the crowd where I have simply received because other people have given. I've been blessed by the kindness of others. And I sometimes have been like the little boy where I've given and God's taken the little bit that I gave and he's done something amazing with it. We all of these lives, and, and they, are, they are filled with God's grace that has come to us through what other people have done. So I'm going to give you three stories, and I am not a great storyteller, so just go with me with this, about how this bears out. These are personal for me, but I think they'll kind of relate to you. My first story is this. I grew up in a home with a single mom, a single mom. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money. We probably would have been considered poor when I was growing up. I remember Christmas times. I, I would get presents at Christmas uh, of blue jeans. That was like my Christmas. And my mom would wrap them in different boxes so I would have two presents and not just one, which was kind of thoughtful for her. But she always bought me tough skins. You ever have tough skins? Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. All my friends were Levi's. I wore tough. You go to, she goes, oh, you can't, you can't break them. They're just great. Yeah, because they're like plastic or something. You know, you, you can't destroy We've got to buy you tough skins. She's always buying me these tough skins. Hating them. But, but, she, but she comes and she works hard. She, she, my mom is five one, so she's like, you know, little, and, and she starts this gardening business. I mean, the, the lawnmower is as big as her. I mean, it's like, yeah, you, you can just see that she shows up to do your lawn. She works hard. She works long. She blows out her knees and her back. I mean, even today, she still has knees and back problems because of all the time and effort that she put into this. But she worked hard so she could provide something to put on our table. She provided as best she could Today I can't imagine why I was such a jerk And so ungrateful for all the things that she actually gave me Uh, I remember as a kid I was disciplined for everything I did Everything I spent more time grounded than not being grounded Made me angry In junior high I had this friend His name is Chad We're sitting in this store Maybe I shouldn't say Chad I can get sued for defamation of character Uh, But we're sitting in this store And we don't have obviously we're poor. So I, I go hey why don't you take that And he goes okay Sticks it in his pocket we both get arrested. I'm an accomplice. Him for stealing. The cop. The ride back of the cop car was actually kind of cool. Uh, but, but then you know, then they got to call your parents and they got to come get you. He gets grounded two weeks. I get grounded two months. Two months. Yeah, you get grounded a year if you're in my house. Uh, I remember one time I'm in high school, and for some reason my mom liked to vacuum the house at 6 a.m. So she comes open my door. You see, you had moms like that. She comes in and she starts vacuuming. And I was probably a little hungover or something. I don't know. So, I, you know, I come, she comes in and she's vacuuming. I get out of bed. I go, what are you doing? She goes, you came home late last night. You didn't call. You're grounded two weeks. And like I said, I'm probably a little hungover. And I go, two weeks? Haven't you ground me two weeks? I want to have She goes, you want three? And I'm mad. And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> She goes, you're grounded three weeks. And I go, three weeks? How can you give me three weeks? Three weeks? It's like, you want four? Yeah. She goes, fine, you're grounded four weeks. And I go, four weeks? How can you give me four weeks? four weeks. It's like a month. Go, you want five? Yeah. Because you're not going to back down. You got to win. I don't know how you win. She goes, five weeks? go, five weeks? I And she goes, you want six? And I go, Yeah. She goes, six weeks. And I'm like, six weeks? She you want seven? And I go, no. (laughs) You know how long I was grounded for? Six weeks. I was grounded six weeks. She didn't let me off. You might think, oh, that's terrible. My friends would get in trouble. They get off the next week. I never did. And you're like, why are you telling me this? Some of my friends growing up, they've ended up in jail, on drugs, failed marriages, failed lives, trying to live as if all their glory is in their high school years and not in raising their children. My mom was not perfect. Uh, If you know her, she's a little neurotic. She thinks she's always right. I guess that's where I get it. I don't (laughs) But I believe God puts me in the family he did because he knew my mom would take the small lunch that she had in effort and energy and do her best to raise me how I needed to be raised. Apparently beaten and grounded. That's but it made me who I am today. I feel sorry if I ever get to actually have kids to be grounded all the time. I turned out okay. Grounded all the time. <laughs> giving Jesus your bread and your fish can simply be giving yourself to your family in the best way possible. Practically, practically living that way. Uh, my second story is this: I studied and learned to teach out of the Bible from my first real pastor. The first he gave me this this Bible. Uh, his name was Ken. Ken is not perfect. Ken's got lots of issues. Uh, when, when I was when I was 12 years old, my aunt Sue comes up to me and she says, "Do you want to burn in hell?" I'm like, "Well, who wants to burn in hell?" You know, I'm 12. I'm like, uh, uh, "No." And she goes, "Well, pray this prayer. Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me for my sins." And I go, "Okay." So I I say that, you know. And she goes, "Good. Now you're going to heaven." And I'm like, "Good deal. Okay. Uh, this is good." From the time I was 12 to the time I was 17, when I actually became a Christian, I prayed that prayer every day. I prayed that prayer. I, I'd, be, I'd be loaded in my car, driving home from a party, going, Jesus, forgive me for my sins, uh, take me to heaven. I go home and I pass out because I thought that's what it was about. But it's not. I, I, I ended up becoming a Christian. I actually meet Jesus for real when i was 17. I didn't pray that prayer again because I was actually saved. I, I, I went to this, this youth ministry. I learned from this guy, like I said, who, who taught Scripture as best he could. He, he, he loved Scripture. And then I come to love theology. I, I come to, I read theology. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of this book. It's called Justification and Variegated Gnomism. And you guys are like, okay. You know, it, it's I, I I love books like this. I I think they're interesting. I like reading what everybody thinks about a, a whole bunch of stuff. I I come to love theology more than this guy did. And and imagine, you know, I became a Christian. I'm seventeen. I'm about eighteen, nineteen years old. You know, and 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 I walk into his office and I'm like, I got some questions. Let's talk about trichotomy versus dichotomy in in, in the soul of a man. What and He's like, what? I'm like, how about this? Let's talk about the hypostatic union because I got questions. And He's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, it's, it's interesting. Because I, I, he gave me this Bible, and it's a New American Standard. And so I go into his office one day, and I go, you know, it's, Bible, it's a great translation. But it's written by a guy named Charles Ryrie, and he's very dispensational. And doesn't that color? Don't that color everything that he thinks about? That? And he's all, dear God, what did I do? <laughs> you know. Uh, I remember going to a church and then passing a plate. And I was thinking, we have offering boxes. We don't actually pass a plate. And a plate going by and going, yes, dear Jesus, somebody else fill this thing up. Passing that it up. <laughs> it's not your supposed to do, right? It, it comes by. Take money out, put in your pocket because we're going to go to El Postino for lunch. I... Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, and, and so they passed this plate. And, and at the beginning of that, that's kind of what happened. People gave and, and I taught and I learned until I realized that giving to my church was for me as well. I benefited from what was taught. This church helped me to grow more and more into the person I was supposed to be. And so then I began to give. Now, Jesus, in truth, does all of these things in us, and he changed me. But Jesus did it through this guy and his time and his effort and sometimes his money. I still have that Bible today as his notes are still in it. It is beaten. It is broken. But it was his loaves and fishes that were offered to God, and God did something amazing with it. Story number three Uh, is about, actually, Element, where we are today. Element starts last year. Uh, I'm leaving my last job. I don't know. I don't know what I'm really going to do with this whole thing. It's kind of you know coming together, kind of weird. It's it's all kind of crazy. You know what's going on? Uh, I don't know. And so uh, I I start to read some books about church planting and what church planting looks like, and I'm just reading a ton of these books. And I start developing and lay out a plan, which I think is funny because sometimes Scripture says that God mocks our plans because He wants to override ours with His, and then we must go with that. Uh, And so a couple times I think He mocked my plan. Uh, but, but I have this whole idea of what, what element is supposed to be And so some people come and they sought me out And they said you should really think about doing something like this And then after reading scripture I have an idea of what a church should look like And that Jesus is the senior pastor of a church And it is overseen by a plurality of elders And so I go and I seek some other people out And I say this is where I believe God is leading me Would you come and, and do this with me And these guys were like yeah okay let's let's go for it Yay God we don't know what's going to happen, but, but we're going to go for it. And so I'm like teetering on the edge of this crazy cliff. And, and I start giving my money, my energy, and my time, as did lots and lots of other people. Energy, money, time. And so we have this planning meeting in December of 2007. About 60 people show up to this planning meeting. And, and I lay out how, how I believe a church is supposed to be missional. That every person in a church should be living as if they are a missionary in the culture and where we live. And so it is much more important to me how you worship God outside these walls than inside these walls. Most of the stuff that we do as a church is trying to reach out to the community. Oh, we do. I, I will tell you this. I want Element to be as big as it can because more people will hear the gospel. And I believe a church needs to grow large enough to meet the needs of a community. And I would like us to do that. If you look at the type of things that we do as a church, I'm not trying to suck in all your resources and use them here. And when we do stuff, I'm like, okay, we're going to get involved in this. We're going to get involved with that. We're going to go do this. Uh, Someone asked us if we were going to have a food pantry here. And I said, no way. The Santa Barbara County Food Bank is right over there, and they know how to do it, and they're really good at it, and they're involved in our community. So I got a couple people who are actually liaisoning with them, and then they're going to come back to us, and we're going to find out how to help them do their thing in the community so we are better connected with the community that we're in. Churches are supposed to be able to meet the needs in a community, uh, real needs, real needs. I mean, if somebody's starving, you walk up to that person and go, "Oh yeah, uh, just step Jesus into your heart, you'll be full." <laughs> if if you look what Jesus, Jesus at this place, he he feeds these people because they're hungry, and he talks to them and tells them what's going on. You know, what, our job is not just to walk around and hand out tracts. God, two, I'm throw something at you if I kitchen. you. Uh, our job is to, is to help people to live as if we're trying to bring God's kingdom to earth to make a complete difference. So this is what I... Back to my story. So this is what I do. I, I tell these 60 people this. And then about two weeks later, um, we started something called the gospel class. So we actually kind of start element a little bit. Uh, we're, we're in this room. Uh, about 35 people show up from the original 60, which is kind of a blow to your ego, but that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay, uh, and we are in the midst of rubble. Uh, this room is filled to about here with garbage, right? Yes, yeah, like garbage. Just like we don't even know who's the, half the stuff is. We're like, well, this is, this is we can't use this, you know? And w- so we start we start cleaning up, and and we we're taking out trash, and, and there's broken walls, and mold, and debris, and broken heaters. You think you think it's all oh, it's so hot in here. This is so nice compared to Paul Spencer comes down and he brings his propane heater. We stick it in the cornhole and we're just like we're like homeless people around a trash can. We're just like it's so cold in here. Yeah, you don't you don't believe them. It, it was terrible. Uh, and so like I said, about thirty five people show up for those first meetings and it grows to about forty to fifty. Most of those people came at that point and gave their money and their time and their energy and they actually stayed. We're going to make this into a usable environment, which they're going to tear down and probably you know, in the next year at some point. So we're looking at some other place to go. Yay, here we go again. That's, that's all I'm thinking. Uh, we eventually come to a place where we buy chairs. You know, There's John and Corey. and we first got the chairs, we set them up and, and we're trying to get them to, to go together. Uh, you know, we finally get chairs. And, see, chairs are nice, right? People who came, they used to have to bring their lawn chairs. And I'd always be like, okay, bring, bring your lawn chair and bring one in case someone new shows up and doesn't know to bring a lawn chair. And typically, all the lawn chairs we brought got full. We, we, so, we, so we have like our first Easter service. We're not even actually launched yet. We didn't have our permits from the city. <laughs> but, but we decided an Easter service anyway. And Easter service looks like this room does right now. And we're like, wow, well, that's kind of cool. You know, and then about half those come back the next week, so you know right about 75. And, and we just start to grow and, and things begin to happen. Uh, at the very beginning, uh, people would come and they would bring lunch breakfast and lunch and everybody ate because we were all working in this place and Then you get curtains and then you get lights and carpet and projectors and soundboards and new people start coming and they hear the good news of the gospel and all of a sudden, lives begin to change people start to commit themselves to Jesus and and they and they take and they, and they commit their families and themselves to living a different life some people who have been broken are beginning to be restored things are beginning to happen lives are beginning to change all because some people gave their fishes and loaves to jesus and he did something none of us could have ever imagined with it fishes and loaves See what you see in the story with the little boy is that first jesus is god and that god loves to work through his people There are times throughout history where God just works, period. God just does things. You see this with the Israelites and manna from heaven. God just does it. There are other times where God works to people who don't know him or don't believe. In the book of Exodus, you see that uh, Pharaoh, as the Israelites leave, Pharaoh provides most of the loot that financed the, the work of the temple. But what you see mostly through Scripture is that God works through his people. You and I are supposed to be like this little boy, conduits through which God works. How are people supposed to get fed? How are people supposed to be loved? How are people supposed to be taught? How are people supposed to be counseled? It's supposed to be through God's people. We are the means to which God does most of his work in the world. And so many people say, well, you know, as soon as I get a little more time, a little more money, a little more skill, then I'll give God a really big lunch. And we think God is really small, and he can't do something with something small. But the little boy gives Jesus this tiny little lunch, and God is a big God. Who does something amazing with it Because God can make up the difference The only thing that this kid has Is his lunch Hands it to Christ And then God does something amazing in his power And you see God's grace Work through the poorest of lunches I believe many people do not see God's power And grace in their lives Because we are sitting here And we are eating our own lunch You know why doesn't God do things like this In my life Well have you given him your lunch Or are you eating it yourself That's the question. We we eat our own lunch, and many times we should be sharing it with God so he can do something amazing. I have seen God's grace do amazing things with so little, from the family I have to the church I am privileged to serve in. I have seen God touch people's lives daily. It's a stand that God cares so much about his people, the way he does in practical ways, all the way down to providing lunch for all these people, sitting on grass, hearing this message. God is involved in the daily affairs and the lives of his children. It is God's kindness. God's kindness. So my encouragement to you, i got three things for you. Number one, be like the little boy. Love Jesus. Go and do likewise. Give to him. Second thing is this. If you have seen your contribution to the gospel, whether it's financial or caring or loving or teaching, if you have seen that used, communion today should be a time of celebration for you. Because it's a great thing that God did. Rejoice and thank Jesus for how gracious he is. And my third thing is this. If you haven't ever given, you should. You should. But I will caution you about this. that, That you may see God do something wonderful. But that is not why we give. We give because God tells us to love our neighbor and the people around us. And it's the right thing to do. And if God blesses it, then that's simply a bonus to our faithfulness. This is where we go every week we go to communion um, christ gave to us his his body i remember that weekly and today we're going to take communion with barley loaves um actually i was better made these she's the lady who's in charge of communion and we were looking all over for bar, and nobody makes barley loaves anymore apparently it's not the food of the poor and I, I told her i said if we if we can't find barley loaves let's buy some wonder bread you know because that's the food of the poor white bread right you guys are all yeah apparently <laughs> But uh, she actually made uh, some barley loaves, and so when you get up, you break off a piece. They're kind of crumbly, okay. And then dip it in the wine or the grape juice. It's going to suck up a little more wine or grape juice than normal. So Be careful. You'd be like, "That's the best church service ever!" <laughs> getting pulled over on the way home, going, "Was it? I just went to church." <laughs> Uh, so, different than one, we, and This is the whole thing about communion. Communion reminds us that you know, that Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed for us. And so we remember that in communion weekly. Worship God and remembering that. Uh, we're going to worship God through giving. Uh, there, people gave, so the lights are on today. It's amazing. And so there's an offering box on the side wall in the back of the room. We give because God gave to us. Uh, we're going to worship God through prayer. And if you're in a place and you just feel like, well, I, I don't have any lunch to give. And I'd really like to be able to. Well, pray with one of the elders. They would love to pray with you. And maybe you're in a position, in a place in your life where maybe you need some help from us. I mean, it's, that's the point of a church in a body. It's not just, give me. Give me. We're, we're here to help people, too. But if it's like, oh, I can't pay my rent because my cable bill is too high. Well, I'm going to tell you you're at a cable is what I'm going to tell you to do. <laughs> uh, we're going to worship God through Psalm. The band's going to come up. Oh, you are. Tall. Gigantic guy that you are. And, the, and then what songs do is, is they help us to reflect and focus on who God is and, and what he's done, especially his kindness to us. Sometimes people, when they refer to music, they call it the worship. Well, it is worship, but it's not only worship. Worship is everything you do in your life, which leads us to the next thing, which is fellowship. And I believe that worship is, again, much more how you live outside of these walls than what you do in here. Your life is... Outside of these walls should have Jesus much more on display than in here. How you love, how you live, the kingdom of God coming to this earth because of how you and I live. I mean, that's that's how it works. Are you doing? How much ready? Because I'm running out of steam here, <laughs> guys. Pray, ask God. What are your fishes and loaves? What do you give? What are you holding on to? How can you give God your lunch? And what does that look like? What does that look like? Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you teach us to be a people who trust you. God, because so often we hold on to our fishes and loaves and we eat a tiny, poor lunch instead of the great bounty that you long to provide. God, this is... I I don't think this is just monetary, God. I I think this is in in our spirits and in in our in our love and everything around us. God, there is so much more to this life than we typically experience because we just sit and eat our own lunch. And I ask that you would show us deep within our souls today how to give you that lunch. How to not only love you, but love the world how you call us to love it. Have us truly learn to be your people. And we thank you for your great gifts given to us. And what you will do with our lives in advance. Because we know that you are good. Amen.